Hello, everybody. My name is Tori. You guys, uh, thank you so much for coming to my workshop. This workshop is titled Unashamed Evangelism. Um, it, it, you can find the outline for this workshop on page 32 and 33 of your packet. Uh, if, you, if you don't know what evangelism is, it is uh, sharing your faith in Jesus with others with the intent to persuade them to entrust their life to it. Just in case you've never heard that word evangelism before, that's what it means if you accidentally walked into a room and you didn't know what this was about. I will not judge you if you silently exit right now. Um, but that's what we're talking about. We are talking about evangelism, sharing our faith with other people. I deeply love people, and I deeply love Jesus. So I've deeply thought about this topic. Because I love people so much, and I want them to know Jesus, but often I come into this, this tension where I don't want to risk the relationship by talking about something risky, like Jesus Christ is the savior of your soul. But I also really love them, and I know that there's nothing else worth giving your life to, nothing else that can save your soul besides Jesus Christ. How do I reconcile those two tensions? I don't want to be awkward, but I also don't, I want them to know this saving news. And so I've, I've thought deeply about this. I, I desire uh, to, to feel how, how Paul feels on the top of your outline right here, Romans 1.16. Paul says, for I am unashamed, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's what I want. I want to be not ashamed for the gospel, but I often find that I am. And I suspect that you probably walked into this room because you often feel the same way too. Well, I hate to break it to you. I am not going to be able to take away all your shame. Only Jesus can do that. I'm not going to leave you here. Leave, you're not going to leave here feeling totally, never again will you be ashamed to share the gospel. But my hope today is that uh, what felt scary feels a little less scary and um, that you feel empowered with some tools to share the gospel with people that you deeply love. Um, so you're not going to leave totally 100% unashamed of sharing the gospel. But I want to share with you particularly this, this whole workshop is about this simple truth that really helped me feel less ashamed of the gospel. And it really changed how I think about evangelism. And this simple truth is that everybody knows there is a God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expound on that this whole workshop, but let me repeat it. Everybody knows there is a God. Christians know, obviously. Non-Christians know. Your atheist professor, they know there's a God. Your Buddhist classmate, they know there's a God. The president of your university, your mom, your cousin, everybody Everybody knows there is a God. But there's a difference between knowing God and being a Christian. Christians know a God. They don't just know there's a God. They know him specifically. They know him intimately. They know that through the revelation of Jesus Christ and his word that they can be saved. They have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ alone. There's a, they, they know God in a saving way. But non-Christians, they have more of a, a sense that there's a God. 
They, they don't actually know how to access him. And while they know that there's a God, they can sense him, they are actively suppressing this truth. They know it, but they're actively suppressing it. And I'm not saying, like I said, that they, they generally have a relationship with God, but they, they know that there is one. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean here. And, and we'll go to our first point, the psychology of a non-Christian. Now, you might be a non-Christian in this room right now, and I am just going to read to you the psychology of a non-Christian that Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, what he said. These are not my words. I'm just delivering the mail. I didn't write it. So let's uh, flip over our packets here, and you'll see on page 32 the scripture. I'm going to read it. This is what we're going to look into to see how everybody knows God, but they're suppressing the truth. Verse 16 in Romans chapter 1. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Did you see how it starts in verse 18 there, it says the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness of men. Why is the wrath of God revealed? It's because God has made himself clear that he exists. What can be known about him is made clear. That's your first subpoint. It says that they know God. Now, when we look carefully at this passage, it's not saying they know everything about God. But what can be known about God is plain to them, namely, his eternal power and divine nature can be seen clearly in the creation of the world, meaning that you don't need to read your Bible to know that there's something divine and powerful behind it all. What can be known about God, his divine power, his eternal power is plain. Kyle uh, Beshinger, who wrote the book Apathyism, How to Share When They Don't Care, that was a book that was for sale today, um, says, atheists who are confident that the universe is just a blind, cold machine are strangely moved by the beauty of a sunset. Why? Because the breathtaking beauty of a sunset, that creation points to a creator behind it all. It's obvious. Something as beautiful of a sunset is created by something, right? Think about it like this. If something as simple as a taco is made with intention and intelligence, aka a human being, how much more should something as complicated and breathtaking as a sunset have to be made by something intelligent? What can be known about God is plain. His divine attributes and his eternal power. I see it all the time with my own eyes. People who deny God yet have a sense that there's something bigger than themselves in the world. I most recently saw this when I was visiting my non-Christian cousin who would call herself a Buddhist. But she loves Christian hymns. 
When I asked her why, uh, she says that she experiences a spirituality and connection to God when she sings these hymns. There's something, she literally said, there's something that gives me peace about the idea of surrendering to a power greater than myself. Her favorite hymn is called, There is a Fountain Full of Blood, which if you know the lyrics of that, it says, for sinners who plunge beneath the blood, their sins are washed away. That's her favorite song. She calls herself a Buddhist. She knows that there's a God, right? You can see it. She senses it. Her heart longs for it in the lyrics and that melody of that song. But she suppresses the truth. Non-Christians know there is a God. But why? Why do they live like there isn't one? That should, that should be our next question, right? Well, we already talked about this. They suppress the truth. That's what it says in Romans 1. By their unrighteousness and sinfulness, they are suppressing the truth. They ignore it. They do all of they can to avoid it and not acknowledge it. Understanding this truth, that they know God, but they're suppressing the truth, was a game changer for me when it came to evangelism. Non-Christians know there is a God, but they suppress it. It's no longer, evangelism is no longer about forcing my non-Christian friends to believe something that I think is true. It's about inviting them to acknowledge a truth that they already have a sense is there. It's about inviting them to unsuppress the truth. Do you see what I'm saying? You're not forcing something in there. You're releasing something out. It's a pivotal shift in my evangelism. Imagine it this way. Think of a kitchen sink or, you know, your hose in your back garden or your parents' back garden. Uh, so when the hose is turned off with the valve or the, the faucet, there's, there's no water coming out, right? Does that mean that there's no water in the hose? No. It means that the valve is closed, but there's gallons of water just waiting to push through. And at the slightest turn of the valve, what comes what comes out? Water starts trickling through. Once you open that valve, it comes rushing through. That's, that's this picture to me of suppression. The water is being held back. And evangelism is just coming alongside someone and helping them release the valve. Open their, their suppression to see God, the God that they already kind of know is there, but they don't really want to figure out how to know him. This is all that we're doing in evangelism, is releasing the valve. We're coming alongside people, helping them to do that. And we want to share that this, there is a God in the world. You know it. And Jesus is the way to him. This should be really freeing to you guys. This means that you don't need to have a rock-solid argument to win people to Jesus. We don't have to be an extrovert, or super expert in the Bible. You're just helping someone to see what's already there. You simply have to help them to release the suppression. This should give you a great deal of confidence. You have a lot more in common when you're with your non-Christian neighbor than you realize. It even, even it talks about it in the Old Testament. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, it says, God has put eternity into a man's heart 
There's a sense that in every man's heart that they want to know God, that they know that there's something beyond themselves. You're not implanting new information into their heads. You are releasing what's already there. And so this leads us to the second point of our uh, workshop here. I want to help you guys think about how can we do this? How can we help release the valve? How can we help non-Christians to stop suppressing the truth? In some ways, it's a work of the, majorly, it's a work of the Lord. But I do think there's ways and skills that we can develop to help us do that. And our evangelism should be influenced by this fact that God is in there. We don't, we don't need to force something in there. God is in there, and they know it. They just are suppressing it. One, a quote I recently saw on a really quality source called Instagram. <laughs> it was literally just somebody posted it. I, I don't even know who, who originally said this, but it says, you, your life as a Christian can and should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. I think that is how I think about evangelism and releasing the valve, is my life as a Christian makes them think, I think I'm kind of designed to live that way, not suppressing the truth. You're, you're living the way you're intended to live, Christian. You're not suppressing the truth. So, I have six things, they're not revolutionary, they're pretty simple, six ways that we can help our non-Christian friends to live like the way that they're designed to live, that God is real, and to stop suppressing that truth. So, the first one, this is for you guys. It's important for you to personally love Jesus. Sounds simple, right? When we genuinely love God, it affects people who are suppressing the truth. Just like I read before, your life can and should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. It affects people when you love God in front of people. But ask yourself, do you love Jesus? When Paul says, at like at the top of the outline here, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's a deep confidence in there. He's not ashamed because he knows that the love of God is, is what propels him forward. Just a, a couple chapters later, in Romans 8, in the same book, Paul says this. He says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am, not a, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, no powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation will able to be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same man said, I am not ashamed of that because there's nothing that can separate me from that. His love of God is what propelled him forward to share about God with this world unashamed. Do you know the love of God? Do you marvel at the gospel? That the God of creation cares about you, a mere creature. And not just cares about you, but died for you so that you could have a relationship with him. That should regularly blow you away. That's like us caring about an ant. That's, that's not even a small picture. That should blow you away. Do you love Jesus? Do you spend time repenting from sin and cherishing that forgiveness? 
Do you drink in time with the word, eager to know and become more like God, who, the God who loves you? Do you spend time in Christian community and in prayer with, with people who remind you of God's love? And I, I don't think any of us in this room do this perfectly. But I think there's, there's times that we, like we learned last night, are runaways and times that we can run to God. And I think this is an opportunity for ask ourselves, are we running to God or are we running away? But maybe, maybe if, you, if you don't, maybe you're not even a Christian and you're in this room. Maybe you haven't considered the extreme lengths that he's gone to be in a relationship with you. And, contempla- and contemplated the fact that you actually don't deserve a relationship. You deserve wrath uh, because of your sin and your shame. But God took the wrath in our place by dying on the cross. This is the greatest love the world has ever known. This is what we're sharing with people when we do evangelism. And the more we meditate on it, the more it should radiate out of us. And and subsequently, it will be really attractive to our non-Christian neighbors. If you not consider these things, maybe you're not a Christian. If you not consider them ever, I invite you right now to trust in Jesus. Turn from your old way of living and turn to Jesus who's died for your sin and your shame and live for him. Embrace the way you were intended to live. Release the valve of suppression in your life and worship God. Maybe maybe you say you love Jesus, but you're ashamed of the gospel, probably a lot of you here, myself included. Um, This could be a good time for you to self-reflect and ask yourself, why are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you think about, maybe you don't think about your sin often. You don't think it's a big urgency to repent from it and spend time, or maybe you don't spend time, you repent from sin, but you don't spend time cherishing that you've been forgiven. Uh, But maybe you're like me, and you, you often become consumed by wanting the love of people rather than wanting the love of God. If that's you, I, I encourage you to check out my workshop from Fall Conference last year. It's literally called When You Care More What People Think Than What God Thinks. Um, I would go into it now, but I did a whole workshop on it you can listen to. Um, if you do love Jesus, talk about it. Talk about it with your Christian friends, with your non-Christian friends. Talk about what you're reading in the Bible, what excites you about God. This is one of the most basic but effective tools for releasing the valve is your love for God in a world of people that are suppressing God. It stands out because it's living how they were created to live in front of them. I remember when my sister, who is not a Christian, came to visit me my freshman year of college. I was a freshman at Penn State, for all you Penn State people. And um, she's not a Christian. And she was with me the whole weekend. And we did nothing really that weekend besides carve pumpkins and do fall fun things. And she left that weekend saying, Tori, you have the nicest group of friends I've ever met. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, they're cool and all, but the nicest? And it blew me away. Like, I, I love my friends. They didn't feel any exceptionally greater than any other person in the world. But what she saw was she saw that we loved Jesus. 
She saw it, not because we did a gospel, even we, we probably talked about the gospel, we probably were talking about Bible studies we're in because we were all in it together, but we didn't sit there and share the gospel with her. We just loved Jesus in front of her. And when I, I remember three, a couple years later, we dropped her off at Penn State Altoona, which at that time there was no Christian ministry there. And she looked at me and she said, Tori, if, I, if there was a disciple makers here, I would have gone to it. My heart broke. And now there is, which is a huge answer to the prayer. Because she saw that community and it attracted her to Jesus. So, our personal love for Jesus is really important to releasing the valve. But along with that, we have to genuinely love non-Christians. This might, this might be obvious, but I find that the longer I'm a Christian, the more I only have Christian friends and the less I have non-Christian friends. It's, it's so easy. You're going to church. You're going to Bible studies. I don't really even need to interact with my neighbors or my coworkers or my classmates. Someone once told me this is what they call a holy huddle, and it's been really helpful. Sometimes I'm like, Tori, get out of the holy huddle. Go start being friends with, with non-Christians. And, not, and don't forget the very mission God has called you to. He, one of the ways Jesus calls his disciples on mission is he calls them to be fishers of men, to go out and get people and tell them about the good news of Jesus. And I don't know really anything about fishing. But I know one important thing. You need to be around fish to go fishing. <laughs> Can't catch any fish in the Sahara Desert, right? The same principle is true. If we want to share our faith, if we want to love Jesus in front of non-Christians, we have to be friends with non-Christians. And um, maybe this is an opportunity for you to step out and make room in your life to have a non-Christian friend. Join a gym, befriend your classmate, your coworker, and don't just befriend them to evangelize them. Really be a friend to them. A mutually enjoyable friendship where they just see a normal human being loving God in front of them. I, I try to spend time regularly with my childhood friends from, I try to spend, who aren't Christians. I try to spend time with people from my gym, and this is hard. I have lots of people in my life, but I really want to, to be a light for Christ and be really friends with these people. When our love for God starts interacting with non-Christians in real life, it does something. It starts to release the valve in their lives. Your love of God in a world of people suppresses it, who suppress God, it, it really starts to stand out. This third principle that I have here says, don't censor Christ out. I think I, I have this in here because sometimes we love Jesus. We start to hang out with non-Christians, but we do this thing. And this thing has been so helpful for me in evangelism is in not to helping people release the valve is not to censor Jesus out. What I mean by that is, I think you kind of probably know what I'm getting at. It's this thing that happens on Monday after fall conference when every, your classmates or your friends who are not Christians say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And you said, I hung out with some friends. Maybe you, say, maybe you take a step further and say, I hung out with some friends in Harrisburg. 
you don't mention the fact that you spent the weekend learning about how to love God and give your, and give your life to Jesus in all areas and aspects of your life. You just happen to leave that out. I do it all the time. It doesn't even have to be big weekends like this where you censor out. I, I censor it out too. Like someone will be like, hey, Tori, what have you been doing this weekend? And I'll, I'll be literally with my church friends all weekend and I'll just say, you know, I just hung out with some friends. It's not a lie, but I'm censoring out the fact that I hung out with church friends and we learned about, you know, what the Bible says about marriage at a, a Sunday school, you know? Like I could put those things in there, but I often censor them out. And I think what is so impactful about this and helpful in evangelism is I think when I think about evangelism, I think one, you know, we have to force it in there, but we're not. We're not forcing them to believe something. We're just releasing the truth. The other thing is I, I feel like, okay, there's this time where I'm going to talk about God, and then there's this time where we talk about everything else, right? And then it gets really awkward when I switch from talking about everything else to talking about God. But when we do this thing where we stop censoring out Christ, those two things start to interact. It's not God time and other time. It's God time all the time. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but if you're anything like me, I don't do it. It's God time and every other time. Instead of God is just woven into the fabric of everything that I talk about. And it starts to impact people. It starts to make people think, that if I talk to Tori about God, she's still going to love me, even if I disagree with her. Because our friendship is so much more. Tori wants to talk about God. She's talking about God all the time. In the, in the Old Testament, God told his people to take his law, and he said this. He said, you shall teach it diligently to your children. You shall talk of the law when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them to a sign on your hand. You shall you, they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on, the, on your gates. God is telling his, his people to think about his law, not just at temple or when they're worshiping him, but all of the time, when you're sitting, when you're standing, when you're walking to town, to integrate it into every aspect of our lives. And that's the same for us, because it gives witness to the God who created us. I remember one time I was at the gym, and uh, I was lingering a little bit after this class, this fitness class I went to, and the fitness instructor came up to me, and she's like, oh, hey, Tori, what's, what's going on? What are you doing the rest of the day? And I was really tempted to just give some vague answer of like, I got lots of work to do. Um, and, but I decided to be honest. I decided not to censor out Christ. I was taking a class at that time um, about the New Testament, and I had to write a paper on the book of Revelation. And so she said, Tori, what are you doing? And I said, I have to write a paper about the book of Revelation, and I'm really stressed out about it. And she was like, wow, the Bible's really complicated. I don't know how the heck you can ever write a book about, I mean, a paper about Revelation. And I was like, yeah, I mean, like, there are parts of the Bible that are definitely confusing, but the most important truths about the Bible are crystal clear. I read the Bible with people all the time. Do you want to read it together? And me and this person read the Bible together for, like, a whole year um, through the book of John. And it was really cool. And it was this moment 
where I had to decide, am I going to censor out the fact that I'm writing a paper on the book of Revelation? Or am I going to be honest about what I'm stressed about? It wasn't like this aha God moment. I was talking about actually something negative. But it related to her. She said, yeah, I'm confused about the Bible too often. And it was a really good way to talk about God with her in the Bible. This, this is when you're, when you're not censoring out Christ. I call these little tiny conversation Bible hooks where you're just saying, yeah, like I went to church this Sunday. Oh, oh I read this really awesome thing in Ephesians 2 today that just keeps blowing me away as I walk around today that I'm seated with Christ, you know. And these little hooks, these little conversations that you're having all over the place, maybe you're having them while you're with your family or with your gym friends or with your classmates. Sometimes there's no, no spiritual fruit from it, but when you're having millions of conversations, there's always somebody you're having a conversation with. Like, right now, I'm not really having much conversations with people at the gym, like I was just sharing with you, but I'm having some really good spiritual conversations with my family. And sometimes it flips, but because I'm having all of these conversations where it's not God time and all, the other time it's God all the time, I'm always having some sort of conversation because it's just normal for me to talk about God all of the time. But we can't just have these Bible hooks that we don't censor out. This leads us to the fourth one. We have to engage when people are curious. Like my, the fitness instructor who said, oh, the Bible is so confusing. You can't just agree with her. You have to pull her. You have to engage with that curiosity. Say like, yeah, would you like to read the Bible with me? Not all of it is equally confusing. You want to press into their interests. Ask questions like, have you ever read the Bible? Do you have a church background? Tell me about it. I have these opportunities where people will clearly take an interest. And I, again, they'll take an interest to something I say, like I go to church and I have a decision to make. Am I going to press in and just invite them in? Or am I just going to move on? But if we're dropping hooks, if we're fishing for people right now, if we're dropping hooks, we have to reel them in as well. These are ways that we're helping to release the valve of suppression. We love Jesus in front of non-Christians by not censoring out Christ. And when they have curiosity, we ask questions of their curiosity, engage with it. The fifth one here is we invite them in and we love them past rejection. This is the part that I think is the scariest. This is the thing that we all feel the, the shame of the gospel. It's that moment when you invite them to church or you invite them to read the Bible with you or you ask them to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You're taking a risk and putting something out there and what you wait. Because what if they say no? It's scary. And I'll tell you honestly, I'm sharing you a lot of these stories of evangelism that I've, I have seen in my life, but I feel like more often than not, I'm rejected than I have successful stories. There's lots of no's to the yeses. And it even says in the scriptures, in 2 Corinthians 2, it says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and, and to those who are perishing, we are the fragrance of death. And that's just the truth. Some people will say, yes, I want to know more. And other people will say, 
uh, get away from me, you smell like death. They might not say that you smell like death. But that's what the Bible is saying, that some people will be drawn in and some people will be repelled. And, um, and that's just the reality, and it's scary. And because it's because they're suppressing the truth. A lot of non-Christians, they have all of this bravado, a lot of this fight, because they're, they're trying to suppress something. They're trying desperately to avoid a truth and ignore it. Somebody once told me, like, nobody ever gets mad when a child believes in Santa Claus. Like, I'm not going to get angry and get into a theological debate about Santa Claus. But people get angry about Christians because they're suppressing a truth that they don't want to acknowledge. But we can be patient because we have a confidence that we're not putting something in there. Right? We're not forcing them to believe something that I just believe. We can be patient and be confident that God has, is at work. And we're sharing something that's already written on their hearts. And we are just agents of releasing that suppression. Especially if this is someone whom you've had a long-term relationship with or friendship with. We, have, we can have confidence that God is at work and uh, that they know God. They're just blind to the suppression of their truth. And because of this, we can be patient in the midst of rejection, and we can keep loving them past this rejection. We can be their friends beyond just when they say no to church. And you know what? We can invite them to church again. Because <clears throat> we're not implanting a new idea. We're simply drawing them to the light from the darkness that they are suppressing the truth. This is countercultural. When you love somebody past rejection, that's, that's not normal in our world, um, it starts to change friendships. And it starts to build trust. When they know that you're a person that will love them, even if you disagree with them. And, and you even continue to talk about God in front of them. And the more, I feel like the more normal we act about spiritual things, the nor, more normal it will be for people to talk to you about God. They won't feel awkward if you aren't awkward about it. And they'll start to be, bring their real questions of, well, how can there be a God if they're suffering? If they know that you won't leave them just because you said no to, they said no to church, they're not comfortable at this time. People can really tell when we're uncomfortable with a topic. When we are comfortable, it will make other people comfortable. And if we respond normally and say, no worries, it's okay, I get it, Church is hard for some people, maybe another time. People start to tell you what they're really thinking. And this starts to release the valve. Because when people know that you're not going anywhere, and our faith isn't going to change despite their disbelief, it makes people feel safe to actually deal with the real reasons why they're suppressing the truth. And we can be a resource. This is, this is huge. This is a huge thing for releasing the valve. The last thing is I feel like one of the most important things. It's praying. Because evangelism is impossible. We have no power to raise people from spiritual death to spiritual life. We need God to work. But even if we can't, God can. God can do the impossible. He can help the blind see 
And we don't just pray to pray, but we pray because we desperately need God to work in these people's lives. And pray for yourself too. Pray the Lord would give you the boldness to live unashamed of the gospel and to, to help the non-believers in your life to turn to God. I want to conclude um, here with a story that I think just really pictures this. There's a, a woman at my church, her name's Becca, and she regularly, with her husband, goes to this small workout group. So maybe like eight people there. And the, because it's so small of a group, they would go, they became really good friends with this group of people. And um, they went for years and became, would come to their, invite them to birthday parties, would invite them to church. They would usually say no, but they'd keep inviting them. They, they would go on canoe trips and invite them. And they actually, they said yes to the canoe trip. The fitness instructor and her husband started coming on the canoe trips. And then she said, they, Becca invited the fitness instructor and her husband to a canoe trip with the church. So they said, yeah, we loved canoeing with just you. So they came on the canoe trip with the church, and they loved the people from church. So much so they thought, Becca, Steve, you guys have friends like in a community that's there for you. Like, can we come to church with you sometime? Like, they've been inviting them for years, and they kept loving them past rejection. And I'm sure there's times Becca and Steve, they censored out Christ, but it was very clear that they loved God and they lived like they loved God in front of them. So the fitness instructor and her husband, they start coming to church. The fitness instructor actually started coming to Becca's Bible study, which I'm a part of, and so I got to know her personally. And so not only was uh, this fitness instructor being reached out to by Becca and Steve, now our whole Bible study and the church were starting to reach out to them. A couple weeks, a couple months, they all go by, and um, they keep coming every Sunday. I kid you not, three weeks ago, they get baptized as believers. And it's just simple. They knew there was a God. They were just suppressing the truth. And Becca and Steve, you would meet them. They're great godly people, but they're not anything special. They just wanted to work out. <laughs> you know? And they just talked about church. They talked about their church friends. They talked about the Bible. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they chickened out. They invited them. Even when they rejected them, they kept inviting them. And slowly, water started trickling out and started rushing through. And eventually, they got to hear how they can be connected to that God they knew was there. Friends, sharing the gospel can be hard and scary. But in many ways, it doesn't have to be as scary as we make it out to be. We have much more in common with our non-Christian friends than we even realize. There is a knowledge of God in their DNA. And we just are simply called to love God in front of them, to not censor God out, and invite them to trust the God that's already written on their hearts. And so, as you love God in front of your non-Christian friends, they will start to question their disbelief in God. And my hope and prayer is that this simple truth that everybody knows God will start to empower you to have confidence in sharing the gospel. And that you too can say what Paul says right here, 
Romans 1.16, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for. It's the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. So for the remainder of our time here, which is about a solid five minutes, um, you have some small group questions. I would love for you to turn to people next to you and just maybe pick one or two of these. The questions are simple of how, can you, your love of God, how does your love of God radiate to the world around you? Why is it easy for Christians only to hang out with other Christians? How can you genuinely love and befriend non-Christians? When you're tempted to censor, when are you tempted to censor out Christ? How can you make your conversation shift from God time and other time to integrating it all the time? And what are some steps you can take today? And if you have time, pray. So don't expect to get all through all of those. Maybe each one of you could take one of those questions, whatever uh, would be helpful for you to talk about. And in a couple minutes, I'm going to close this in prayer. So. So I'm going to pray to close us. Luckily, the next thing we have is dinner. So uh, we have 15 minutes till dinner. If you guys want to linger, you can keep talking. But I'm going to officially close us in prayer. Lord, I, I thank you for the good news that Jesus Christ um, gives us a, a right relationship with you. I pray that you grow our affections for you, Lord, and that um, we can be agents of um, people pointing to the God who loves them and saves them and the people in our lives. Lord, I suspect there's people, everyone in this room has specific people that they're thinking of. I pray that you give them opportunities and boldness to love God in front of them and to engage with their curiosities and to patiently entrust their lives to you and to love them past rejection, and to faithfully pray for them and invite them to trust you again and again. I pray, Lord, that you grow us to be not ashamed of the gospel. Help us to not censor out Christ in our words and in our life, and help us to just weave you into everything that we say and we do. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.